I invite you this morning to the epistle of Jude. A small little letter right before the book of Revelation. A little letter by a servant of Christ named Jude. A letter that doesn't receive a whole lot of attention, but one that I think probably should receive more attention than it does. This morning, as I was thinking about today being the day in which we honor our senior saints, as well as the day that we recognize our high school graduates, I was thinking about the gap of time between those two things. And it made me think about a message that I heard a few years back by John Piper. This was at a Together for the Gospel conference. I believe it was in 2014 in Louisville. And he gave a message and it was from this text, from especially Jude 24 and 25. But the theme of the message was basically his marveling at the fact that he was still saved. That of all the difficulties and the troubles and the problems that he had been through in his life, that toward the end of his journey, approaching 70 years old and a long life of ministry, he could look back and he could say, Christ has kept me. Christ has held me fast. And so it, it made me think about this gap of time between being a young person and graduating from high school and setting out into adulthood and the senior saints that we're honoring today who are toward the end of adulthood and have run a race. And I was thinking about the many, many people that were brought up in church as young people, but they're not here today. And our church is not unique in that. You can look across the, the evangelical Christian landscape of America, and you can see huge gaps, generational gaps in their churches where you have a lot of senior saints but not a lot of middle-aged saints. Not a lot of 20s and 30s somethings saints. Why is that? And what should we do about it? How can we fix that? I think one of the problems that we face is we have a culture now that is completely bent against God and against Jesus Christ. And so most of our young people, when they graduate from high school, when they leave our homes, they're walking out into a very hostile world. And now as parents, we need to do a good job. We need to do the best job that we can to prepare them, to give them a solid foundation, to teach them the word, to get them ready to go out into that hostile world. But the fact remains that when they leave us and go out, they're going out into a world that is completely against the scriptures, completely against the truths that they've been brought up with in a Christian home. 
And especially as young people walk into a secular university, and many of our graduates go to secular universities, and I think that there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Both of my older children are either in secular university or going to a secular university. But I think in going to a secular university, you have to be particularly aware of the challenges that are there. And so you're going to walk into your first semester uh, biology class, and you're going to have someone teach you evolution very strongly from a scientific perspective and going to completely dismiss out of hand any idea of a creative designer God who brought all this into being. You're going to walk into a, a, a history class of world civilizations, and you're going to hear about you know, how mankind developed out of you know, apes or whatever. You're going to take an anthropology class, and you're going to hear about evolution. You're going to take uh, a philosophy class, and you're going to hear about the denial of the existence of God. So you're going to hear about all of these things, and you're going to have teachers flat out say, there is no God, God is dead. And they're going to challenge your faith. But it's not just the teachers, right? It's not just unbelieving secular professors that are going to challenge your faith. You're, you're also going to be challenged by your classmates and your peers. You're going to be challenged, and not only on an intellectual level, but you're also going to be bombarded with the desires and the poles of the world. I'm convinced that more people become atheists because they love pleasure rather than because they intellectually came to the conclusion that there is no God. And I think you can see that in Scripture. In Romans 1, Paul talks about that it's the ungodliness of people that suppresses the truth. So it is a desire for self, to please self, to engage in the, the pleasures of this world and the pulls of this world that forces us to think, well, maybe there's really not a God. And we start to suppress the knowledge of God that is around us in our consciences, in nature. We start to hold that down and we start to listen to those voices that say there is no God. So what is it that can help us bridge the gap from young adulthood to senior saints so that we can have young people who are graduating from high school today and 50 years from now be sitting where you're sitting? How can we do that? I want us to think about that from Jude 17 through 25 today. So read this passage with me, follow along as I read, beginning in Jude, verse number 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. 
be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we come before you and we desire that you would teach us your truth today. Help us to understand what your servant Jude is teaching us. Help us to see the universal importance of what he is teaching us. Help us to be exhorted, but help us also to be comforted by these truths. Lord, may your spirit do a work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want us to see from the first part of this passage in verses 17 through 23 is the Christian's calling and responsibility. The Christian's calling and responsibility. Jude says, dear friends, it's, it's a word that he uses to refer to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It is those who are loved, loved by God and loved by the saints. And so he's speaking to Christians here. And, and just a little background of context of the letter of Jude. The letter of Jude is written into the setting of a Christian church or churches that are facing the onslaught of heresy. They're facing the onslaught of false teaching that is undermining the gospel, that is causing Christians to walk away from the faith, and is causing them to embrace that which is wrong and to leave the church. There is even false teaching infiltrating the churches. And so Jude has a lot to say about these false teachers, about their deceptive ways, their deceptive methods, their false teaching, their false lifestyle. He talks about the condemnation that ultimately awaits them. Much of the letter of Jude is about that. But now at the end, he addresses his attention directly to the Christians And he has some words for them, words of challenge as well as words of comfort. And in verses 17 through 23, he has words of challenge. And he wants us to remember our calling and responsibility. What is that calling and responsibility? First of all, in this passage, it is to remember. He says, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now, he's just been quoting from the Old Testament. And given several examples from the Old Testament about how there would be false teachers, false prophets, and how they would ultimately end up condemned by God. But now in verse 17, he's saying not only the Old Testament prophets and examples, but I also want to remind you of the words of Jesus' apostles themselves. Paul and Peter and John, they told you, they foretold what I am writing to you about that there would be false teachers, that there would be scoffers in the last days. Remember 
the apostolic word is what he's telling them. So how do we keep ourselves in the faith? How do we keep ourselves in the faith? Remember the apostolic word. Remember the apostolic word. What is that? It's the gospel, isn't it? What is the core of the apostolic word? The core of the the apostles' message is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the Christ who would come into the world, that he would die and give his life as a ransom for many, that he would then be raised again on the third day. That is the core of the apostolic message. Remind yourselves of that message. You want to stay in the faith? You want to build yourselves up in the most holy faith? As Jude says to us here, the way you do that is to be in the word. Remind yourselves of the word. I can tell you this from the scriptures as well as from experience and the testimony of other saints who have gone before you. There is no substitute for time in the word to help you grow in the faith and stay in the faith. There is no substitute for that. So young people, if you want to stay in the faith, stay in the word. Remember the apostolic word. So he says, what's our calling and responsibility? It is to remember. Secondly, it is to remain. It is to remain. He says, the apostles reminded us that in the last times there would be scoffers. And by the way, uh, the scoffer is, by definition from Proverbs and Old Testament wisdom literature, the scoffer is the one who has completely rejected God and who mocks those who accept God. You're going to be walking into a world of scoffers and a university of scoffers. There will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you. They divide you. They try to get in and separate you from the truth, from your Lord, from each other. And these are people who follow their mere natural instincts. In other words, they're driven by the flesh because they don't have the spirit. They don't have the Spirit of God. These are not Christians. They're scoffers. They mock God and they mock you. And you're going out into a world full of them. But you need to remain. You need to remain. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Remain in me and I in you. What did he tell them in John chapter 15? I am the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. Abide in me, remain in me. Remain. What does Jude emphasize here in our remaining in the faith? First of all, he says, he says build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourselves up. A couple of things there. One, We need to take an active responsibility in that. Growing in the faith is not something that just happens to you. By osmosis, 
without our active involvement, right? Building up in the faith is something that we engage in, that we apply effort to, that we seek, that we desire, that we strive for. So we have an active involvement in building up our faith. But I'll also point you to the yourselves part of it. Because it's plural, meaning that building up in the faith is not a solo endeavor. But it is a community of faith endeavor. That building yourselves up in the faith is not something that you do alone, but it's something that you do in community with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we provoke one another to love and to good works, as Hebrews 10 reminds us. We were just talking about this in our Sunday school class this morning, that sanctification, the the, the progressive growing of our faith and holiness takes place within community. There's really no such thing in the Bible, in the New Testament, of a solo Christian who's out there doing their own thing apart from the body of Christ. In the New Testament, church is not sitting in front of a computer watching a pastor online or on the television. In the New Testament, church is not out in the woods communing with God and saying, this is church. I was saying to our class, that can't be church. Sitting out in the woods, praying, meditating, worshiping God. Well, those are great things, and there's a time for those things. That's not church. Sitting in front of a, of a computer or a television, watching a church service online, watching a preacher online, that is not church. Because by definition, church is an assembly of people. You can't do that by yourself. You can't be an assembly of people by yourself, can you? So you can't, you can't do all that God wants you to do and remain in the faith without your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage one another, pray for one another, hold one another accountable, pull others back when you see them wandering from the path. But we need to take an active involvement in building ourselves up and a community involvement in the faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. How do you remain in the faith? You pray. You pray. There is, you can't take away the word and expect you to have growth in the Christian life. You can't take away prayer and expect to have growth in the Christian life. Prayer in the spirit. And then he says in verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. That's why I was saying, how do we keep ourselves? Jude tells us to keep ourselves, doesn't he? There is an active part in which we play in our own persevering in the faith. We need to seek discipleship. We need to seek the word. We need to seek God in prayer. We need to seek brothers and sisters in Christ who can be an example to us and an encouragement to us in the faith. We need to take advantage of all of the tools of grace that God has given to us to help us stay in the faith and keep ourselves in the love of God. Because there are times when our love for God is going to grow cold. There are times when our love for God is going to wane. 
there are times when the pulls and the pressures of this world are going to try to distract our attention from the love of God. Keep yourselves in God's love. As you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In other words, there's something coming. In the meantime, we're waiting. And while we're waiting, we need to be persevering. We need to be praying and remembering the word and building ourselves up in the most holy faith. Keeping ourselves in the love of God. So we need to remain. What's our calling? Our responsibility is to remember It's to remain. And thirdly, in verses 22 and 23, it is to rescue. We have a responsibility to rescue others. He says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. What does he mean by that? Probably he's thinking along the lines of what he has been saying throughout the whole context of his letter of false teaching. That there are some who are now confused. There are some who have doubts about their faith. There are some who are wavering because of the influence of falsehood. What does Jude tell these brothers and sisters in Christ to do? Have mercy on them. Be merciful to them. Help them. They're being influenced by false teaching. They're starting to have doubts. Be a help to them. Verse 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. And many commentators here see a progression in the level of influence of the false teachers. That you have the doubters who are starting to question their faith because of the false teachings of the world. Have mercy on them. But then the next stage is you have others who become more convinced of the false teachings of the false teachers. And if they continue down that path, guess where they will end up? In the fires of hell. In the fires of judgment. If they follow this false teaching, this heretical doctrine, this God denying doctrine, they will end up in fire. And Jude says, snatch them out. And the language here is drawn directly from Zechariah chapter 3, where Joshua the high priest is pictured as a, a smoldering stick snatched from the fire. The fire of God's judgment. He was rescued, pulled out of God's judgment and saved by the mercy of God with a little bit of smoke still rising up because he was that close to the judgment of God. That's the idea here is there are people who are on the verge of eternal damnation because they're flirting with these false doctrines, these false teachings. Save them. How? With the gospel. With the gospel. Don't give up on them. Don't let them go. Don't let them wander off. And that's what I mean by the importance of community, right? You see somebody wandering from the faith, we have a responsibility to go after them and seek to pull them back. And Lord willing to snatch them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. And there are many commentators who think that 
that these, this last group are those who are the most convinced, maybe even the false teachers themselves. We can show them mercy, but we need to be really careful. We need to be fearful, careful to not be influenced by their false teaching. In other words, we can have a ministry to the apostates, to the false teachers, to those who are teaching the wrong thing, but we need to be really careful so that we are not pulled in ourselves. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. In other words, despising the worldliness and being very fearful, we can approach and try to save those who are embracing false teaching. But we have a responsibility to others. So remember the words of the apostles. Remain in the faith. Rescue those who are wandering from the faith. But now lastly, in verses 24 and 25, we see the Christian's hope and assurance. So we had the Christian's responsibility and calling, but now we have the Christian's hope and assurance. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. And it's a trick question. Do we keep ourselves in the faith or does God keep us in the faith? And the answer is yes. Because the way that Jude presents this is it's not an either or equation. So we have a calling and a responsibility to build ourselves up in the faith, to minister to others and to rescue those who are going off the path. We have a responsibility to remain. But who is it that really keeps us? It's God. It's God. So that all along the way, we remain, we persevere, we build up in the faith. But when we get to the end of the road, we can look back and we can say every single bit of it was God. It was all of grace. It was all God's grace that kept us. And verse 24, when he says to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you before his glorious presence. It's not just that he might. It is that he will. Not just that that he can and he might. But he will. Philippians 1.6 The God who began a good work in you. Will complete it. All the way until the day of Christ Jesus. God keeps us. That is our hope and our assurance. So our calling and our responsibility is to remember and to remain and to rescue. But our assurance and our hope is that God keeps us. And God preserves us and God will present us before him without fault and with great joy. Sanctification, our growth in godliness is a work in which the Spirit works through us. So we labor, we work, we strive with all diligence, we seek love and joy and peace, but it is the Spirit who works in us to do it. And it is God keeping us through faith. 
What is the means that God keeps us? The means that God uses to keep us all the way till the end is persevering faith. He keeps us through faith all the way till the end. And in the end, he will completely perfect us and present us as a lamb without blemish and without spot. That is worthy of praise, isn't it? That's why he ends the way he does in verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and power and authority. Is there any question that God can do this? All majesty and power and authority, God will keep his saints. To him be glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. So how is it that a young person can leave high school, go off to college, still be a Christian when they're 21, still be a Christian when they're 30, still be a Christian when they're 40 and have a family, still be a Christian when they're 80 and a senior saint? The answer is in this passage. Keep yourselves and God is keeping you. That is the answer. So you are keeping and you are being kept by the grace of God. And every single one of his children will make it to the end because he will complete what he has started in them. So for every single one of us, this applies to every one of us because it doesn't matter where you are along the journey. There are always temptations, right? You can be 20. You can be in a midlife crisis when you're 45. You can be discouraged and depressed when you're 70. There are always times, temptations, when we are tempted to turn away from the Lord. And we need to always be reminded of these truths that Jude is teaching us here. So let us keep and let us find hope that we are being kept. Praise be to God. Let's bow in prayer together. Our Father, we thank you for the grace that is completely undeserved. We thank you, Father, that in your perfect plan of salvation and redemption, that you will save everyone that you have chosen and called, and you will sanctify them, you will cause them to persevere in the faith, and you will keep them until the last day and for all of eternity. That is all of your grace, Father. And so, Lord, we want to say to you that you are worthy of all glory and majesty and strength and power for all of eternity because of your glorious grace. Father, may your spirit work in us so that we we might work out the salvation that you have worked in us. Lord, do your work among us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.